the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing and engineering today's program. Today we're going to talk with Kristen Wagner. She's uh, with Alliance Defending Freedom General Counsel and Baronelle Stutzman. She's the owner of Arlene's Flowers in Richland. Uh, that's in Washington with a case update. Um, this has gone on for nearly 10 years. She is a creative uh, floral artist. And as you might recall, uh, her um, refusal to uh, arrange flowers for a longtime friend and patron for a, a same sex wedding landed her in what has been a very long and arduous um, battle in the courts. We'll bring you the latest on that when they join us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We'll also share a conversation I had with Rachel Ruth Lotz Wright, co-author with her mother and Graham Lotz, Jesus Followers, Real Life Lessons for Igniting Faith in the Next Generation. And we'll consider a Jesus' most frightening words found in Matthew 7, I never knew you. That's coming up in the second hour as well. First, we'll take a look at some of the news headlines. President Biden signed three pieces of legislation in support of police and federal authorities today. Uh, the president signed... Um, S-1511, the Protecting America's First Responders Act of 2021. S-1502, the Confidentiality Opportunities for Peer Support Counseling Act, or COPS Counseling Act. And S-921, the Jamie Zapata and Victor Avila Federal Officers and Employees Protection Act. Whew. Well, the president will sign the bills, or actually did, uh, which all passed with almost unanimous bipartisan support. So it's still possible on occasion. At a White House ceremony in the uh, state dining room, a White House official announced yesterday and carried out today. The Protecting America's First Responders Act of 2021 was authored by Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and co-sponsored by Democrat Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. It would better ensure that law enforcement and first responders who are disabled in the line of duty have prompt access to benefits. The president also uh, signed the Confidentiality Opportunities for Peer Support Counselors Act, uh, which sets requirements for peer support counseling programs to be provided by a law enforcement agency. Meanwhile, the president also signed the Jamie Zapata and Victor Avila Federal Officers and Employees Protection Act, which was led by Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas and Democrat Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. The bill ensures that individuals who have um, killed or attempted to kill U.S. federal officers and employees serving abroad can be brought to justice and prosecuted in the United States. Well, in other developments, a police report revealed striking details about the Biden nominee, Saul Amarova, uh, her uh, retail theft arrest. She was um, grilled by Congress earlier today. We'll talk more about that if time permits uh, later this hour. The House scheduled uh, schedule rather suggested that a debate would commence this evening for the massive social spending bill. And President Biden shook hands maskless, but decided to put the mask on for a photo op. That's kind of the way things are these days. Over 160 House Republicans moved to block President Biden's vaccine mandate, which has been put on hold by the courts. Well, another Democrat has decided to quit as a potential 2022 Election Day route approaches. Representative G.K. Butterfield, a Democrat out of North Carolina, announced his retirement from the House in a move that will deal another blow to Democrats' chances of keeping control of the chamber in the midterm elections. Butterfield is a longtime member and former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. He'll make, he made the announcement today that he will not be seeking re-election. The veteran lawmaker was first elected to represent North Carolina's first congressional district in 2004. The planned announcement came two weeks after North Carolina's Republican-controlled legislature passed a new congressional map that may put Butterfield's typical, um, typically safe seat within reach of the GOP, with the new redistricting uh, going from leaning Democratic by seven points to now leaning Democratic by one point according to the political uh, website 538. Democrats have filed a lawsuit over the map, 
similar actions here in Oregon, where there's been a lawsuit against the uh, Democrat map drawn here in this state. Anyway, they uh, filed a lawsuit over the map claiming that the new boundary will dilute the influence of black voters in Butterfield's district. Butterfield vowed earlier this month to continue fighting for his seat. I do plan to run again. I'm going to give it everything I've got, Butterfield told uh, ABC 11 at the time. Well, his uh, planned retirement comes the same week as Senator Patrick Leahy and Representative Jackie Spire of uh, California and Vermont, respectively, announcing their retirements, adding to a flow of Democratic incumbents that have announced their departure from Congress. A total of 11 Democrats have announced that they will not be seeking reelection in 2022, compared to nine Republicans who plan to retire. Now, that doesn't by any means mean that those uh, seats will be flipped, but it does make it more challenging to hold a seat that's being uh, uh, challenged by both parties when you don't have an incumbent. In other developments, the GOP defeated an Obama-endorsed candidate in a deep blue city that Biden uh, won handily. Uh, Congress will be uh, home for Christmas, if only in its dreams. And Texas Democratic Representative Henry Collier wants Vice President Harris replaced by, or rather, as the border czar. Democrat California Representative Jackie Spire will not seek re-election in 2022. Jen Psaki feels sexism and racism are part of what's driving criticism of the vice president, Kamala Harris. Apparently, her conduct is not uh, up for uh, scrutiny. Bill Maher and Chris Cuomo clashed on Dave Chappelle's Netflix special, saying it isn't transphobic. A left wing writer claims a historic inflation panic is just rich people flipping out um, over their stuff. They put it a bit differently, but that's what I'll say. Well, the John Deere strike is over after workers agreed to a third contract offer. COVID-19 deaths could fall to seasonal flu levels in 2022, according to Bill Gates. And the CBO score on President Biden's spending bill would be pretty hard to ignore, the former director says. A score is pending. Uh, the president had said, while uh, a vice president and a senator, that the CBO is the gold standard. He's backing off of that now because it may uh, contribute to the rise or fall of his pet legislation. Elon Musk says SpaceX hopes to launch the Starship's first orbital flight in January. Apple will allow customers to self-repair their iPhones and masks, not Macs, I should say. Well, OSHA has suspended implementation of Biden's vaccine mandate. The website page dedicated to the COVID vaccine emergency temporary standards reads, uh, while OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, OSHA has suspended activities related to the implementation and enforcement of the ETS pending future developments in the litigation. Well, last week, you might recall the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit fully blocked Biden's executive order requiring companies with over 100 workers to mandate vaccine vaccination for their employees after temporarily staying it on November 12th. The court ordered that uh, OSHA take no steps to implement or enforce the vaccine mandate until further court order. From another story, uh, earlier this month, the federal appeals court ordered a temporary halt on the mandate, but the Department of Justice then requested that the halt be lifted, contending that the administration has the legal authority to require COVID-19 vaccines or testing for larger companies and that the states uh, that are challenging the mandate have not shown that their claims outweigh the harm of stopping the rule. The court, however, upheld the state, which prompted OSHA, uh, their announcement that it is suspending enforcement of the rule. And finally, Dr. Albert Moeller, who is part of a lawsuit over this issue, said good news, but this is not over by a long shot, pun intended. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break and we'll continue our look at the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we're going to hear what's happened in the Baronel Stutzman case. She's the sole owner of Arlene's Florals in Richland, Washington. For the past nearly 10 years, she's been battling over her right as a floral artist to pick and choose what she is willing to do. Kirsten, or rather Kristen Wagner, uh, Lions Defending Freedom General Counsel will join us in that conversation coming up at the top of the second hour. Well, the International Olympic Committee says men should be allowed to compete as women. Well, I say farewell to competition for women. And they've even declared they uh, shouldn't be required to have lower testosterone to do so. Abigail Shire points out we need to have a serious discussion about withdrawing our female athletes from the Olympics if this foolish, extreme and unjust policy is allowed to stand. America has invested too much in the development of our female athletes to submit them to this. 
Well, the Department of Education has launched an investigation into a school board after conservatives gained control. Apparently, that's a danger. The NBC News story is quick to insist conservatives have misbranded certain books under the umbrella of critical race theory. After a racial incident on a campus, the board put together a diversity plan parents objected to and believed created reverse racism. Uh, they vote um, voted out the school board. That upset the Department of Education. Dana Loesch points out NBC, with efforts from the reporter here, have harassed and smeared parents in our district. And now on the heels of the FBI targeting domestic terrorist parents, the Department of Education Civil Rights Department is in our town investigating parents as well. The January 6th committee is ignoring the problem of the Capitol Police Department's conduct on that day. The investigators questioning the whistleblower who requested anonymity for privacy reasons were a part of the January 6th select committee focused on law enforcement and referred to as the blue team. The panel's tactics both before and during the interview had him worried the committee was too close with the Capitol Police Department to conduct an open and honest review. The uh, committee staffer asked the whistleblower if a lawyer from the police department could be present for his interview, according to emails reviewed by Politico. The whistleblower said he found the suggestion troubling as he did not know how the department learned he was slated to be interviewed. He said he told the staffer he would not participate in any meeting where department lawyers were present. No one from the department ultimately attended his interview, he said. They're not going to do a real review of the Capitol Police, the whistleblower said in an interview. I think it's a chilling effect that they're in bed with the general counsel. Byron York writes, huge problems with Capitol Police preparation response, need for investigation, but the House January 6th committee is about Trump. Well, the College Democrats organization is fighting each other over wokeness. The group's leaders are publicly firing off accusations of anti-blackness, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism at each other. Impeachment proceedings are now in the works against the organization's new vice president, Norheen Mezbah, who is Muslim. College Democrats say that screenshots of tweets that their peers sent in adolescence um, spread uh, rapidly through uh, group texts, which already caused a student running for president of the group to withdraw their candidacy in September. The National Advocacy Groups for Muslim and Jewish Americans are now weighing in on the criticism or with criticism. The conflict has gotten so messy that the Democratic National Committee is considering disaffiliating with the National Collegiate Organization altogether and creating a partnership with the state groups, um, the state groups underneath the national umbrella, according to a Democrat familiar with the the discussion. The DNC declined to comment, but it is something of a mess. From Glenn Greenwald, left liberal spaces have become utterly toxic, mostly for those inside. Uh, it's a totally self-immolating uh, climate. Nobody can survive it. Ultimate uh, reaping of what they've sown. Well, much of the focus of the problem is on tweets from members uh, when they were in their early teens. Uh, Tim Carney, the only virtue in the replacement faith, is having lived a totally inoffensive life. Say nothing, tweet nothing, write nothing. The revolution, uh, Dan McLaughlin points out, the revolution devours its own children. Well, Oracle has ignored questions of religious liberty at their shareholders meeting and even declared there were no other active questions when, in fact, there were. New Mexico's governor declares you aren't vaccinated until you have a booster. Well, you thought uh, they were done? Well, never. The beast is always hungry. Well, the Disney Cruise Line now demands children five and older be vaccinated or they can't have fun. The New York Times declared Republican states are causing all the vaccine problems and a story about Florida pushing back against mandates. The story confuses uh, that uh, with being against the vaccine from the story, the jarring uh, scene gave vaccine skeptics in Florida a big win and moved the state further away from the guidance of federal public health policy, reflecting how a highly politicized pandemic has only become more so as Republican controlled states confront the Biden administration's wide ranging attempts to ease it. According to the story, it's all a ploy to get votes. Well, Nike pulls their Travis Scott shoe out of respect for victims of the Astro World. Um, debacle out of respect for everyone impacted by the tragic events of the Astro World Festival. We are postponing the launch of the Air Max One 
uh, Cactus Jack, the statement said. But it's hard to believe they're sincere when they do business as a brand of China and for China, according to the CEO, where Uyghurs are in forced labor camps. Nike isn't ending any business with China out of respect for those victims. Well, the House censured uh, Representative Paul Gosar, ejecting him from committees over an anime video depicting the slaying of uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez. Kevin McCarthy called the censure Nancy Pelosi's burning down the House on the way out the door scheme. In a case of literally sleeping with the enemy, Lauren Boebert raised Eric Swalwell's uh, Chinese spy scandal on the House floor. And the so-called QAnon shaman was given more than three years in jail for his role in the Capitol riots on January 6th. President Joe Biden attacked oil companies over gas prices, demanding an investigation. But the American Petroleum Institute fired back, blaming high prices on the president's ill-advised decisions. President Biden is not named in U.S. uh, uh, the bishop's document on receiving communion. Some accuse them of an unfortunate capitulation. And overdose deaths topped a mind-boggling 100,000 in one year here in the U.S. The International Olympic Committee punts on the new framework for transgender athletes. And the Chinese military is now set for an invasion of Taiwan, says a Hill commission. You can read more on that in the Washington Times. And a harbinger of 2022, a Republican was elected to Columbia, South Carolina mayor for the first time in almost, well, ever. And United Auto Workers members approve a new deal with John Deere, ending a 35-day strike. Well, on this day in history, 1883, the United States and Canada adopt a system of standard time zones. 1916, the World War I Battle of the Somme, pitting British and French forces against German troops, ends inconclusively after four and a half months of bloodshed. 1928, Walt Disney's first sound-synchronized animated cartoon, Steamboat Willie, starring Mickey Mouse, premieres in New York City. 1959, Ben-Hur, the biblical-era spectacle starring Charlton Heston, has its world premiere in New York City. One of my all-time favorite movies, by the way. On this day in history, 1966, U.S. Roman Catholic bishops issue a pastoral statement on penance and abstinence, which tosses the rule against eating meat on Fridays outside of Lent. 1978, U.S. Representative Leo J. Ryan, a Democrat from California, and four others are killed in Jonestown, Guyana, by members of the People's Temple. The killings are followed by a night of mass murder and suicide by more than 900 cult members. Ryan A. Jackie Spire, uh, now a member of Congress herself, survived five gunshot wounds. 1987, the Congressional Iran-Contra Committee issues their final report saying President Ronald Reagan bears ultimate responsibility for wrongdoing by his aides. And 1991, Shiite Muslim kidnappers in Lebanon, they free Anglican Church envoy Terry Waite and Thomas Sutherland, the American Dean of Agriculture at the American University in Beirut. 2008, on this day in history, Detroit's big three automakers plead with Congress for a $25 billion lifeline warning of a national economic catastrophe should they collapse. We're going to continue to wind our way through some of the day's news. Also coming up in the second hour, we'll talk with Baronelle Stutzman and her general counsel from Alliance Defending Freedom, Kristen Wagoner. There are new developments in that uh, nearly 10-year case. We'll also hear from Rachel Ruth Lotz-Wright, co-author of Jesus Followers, Real Life Lessons for Igniting Faith in the Next Generation. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you of a couple of things. The Christmas mortgage miracle going on right now. I think you'd agree it would be really nice to have your mortgage or your rent paid for a whole year. Well, it's possible this year if you enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle with KPDQ from OsteoStrong PDX. You can enter once per day now through December 17th. You can enter to win the Christmas Mortgage Miracle at KPDQ.com. Check that out every day between now and December 17th. Also, I want to encourage you to come see the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. The 59-year holiday tradition is going to be performing six times at the Sunset Presbyterian Church. And there's a special KPDQ performance on November 27th through the, I should say on November 27th. 
Um, I have an opportunity to to participate along with former Miss America Katie Harmon, Timothy Greenwich. Uh, on the 27th at 2 o'clock, that's the sponsored performance. Uh, now through uh, Friday, October 31st, you can enter to win. What? That's not right. Well, through, yeah, I guess through October 31st. Well, no, we're in November now. Through November 27th, you can enter to win a family four-pack of tickets at kpdq.com. Just take my word for it. Go to kpdq.com and you can enter to win a family four-pack of tickets. And that's valid even as I misspeak. So there you have it. Well, um, we suppose in a better world, our elected representatives would always comport themselves with dignity and decorum, going about the people's business with the seriousness that the republic's federal government deserves. As our Constitution's author James Madison wrote in Federalist 10, enlightened statesmen will not always be at the helm. Indeed, a good many of our 535 elected members of the House and the Senate not to mention the president, are not exactly enlightened statesmen. It's not a partisan uh, comment. It's both sides of the aisle. Well, on Wednesday, House Democrats censured a member of the first, uh, a member rather, for the first time since 2010, subjecting Representative Paul Gosar to official rebuke, stripping him of all his committee assignments for a cartoon tweet. Granted, that now-removed anime cartoon was in very poor taste. It reportedly featured him killing Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, unacceptable, swinging a sword at President Joe Biden, unacceptable. But if there's anything that truly reveals the um, uh, lack of seriousness among our elected uh, representatives, it's fighting over a cartoon when so many other things have been let go. The video was not meant to depict any harm or violence against anyone portrayed in the anime, Gosar says. The video is truly a symbolic portrayal of a fight over immigration policy. Maybe a statement might have been a little better. Moreover, he insisted that he's in the same company as Alexander Hamilton, the first person attempted uh, to be censured by his uh, by the House. Uh, uh, make of that what you will. Well, Gosar behaved foolishly in posting a stupid video and Republicans should have been quick to rebuke his poor choice. He should have apologized and all of that. But just because uh, Democrats routinely engage in sophomoric behavior doesn't mean Republicans should do the same. Well, that said, it's hard to tell from. Uh, what's uh, truly out, what uh, Democrats uh, consider truly outrageous. They were humorless. Um, they screamed, they cried over jokes and memes and so on. Well, speaking of crying wolf, Ocasio Cortez um, uh, falsely claimed to have nearly died during the Capitol riot. That alone should have made Gosar think twice about making her a martyr again. Uh, her primary mission in D.C., aside from pushing socialism, is building her own brand as a melodramatic social media diva. Uh, but there are all kinds of examples I won't go into today of uh, members of Congress in a very unserious way, making statements, urging um, and encouraging violence and sometimes worse uh, from the House, a level of unseriousness. And as w- w- we quoted a, f- a few moments ago from James Madison, uh, enlightened statesmen will not always be at the helm. Yes, Gosar uh, should have been called out, but so many others should also be called out. Well, at least two California children were left sick after a clinic administered the wrong dose of the coronavirus vaccine to 14 kids. Now, once again, I bring this up because if you have decided to have your kids vaccinated, make sure they're giving the proper dosage. I'm here tonight to report my story because it's unacceptable. You expect your medical professionals to give you correct doses, one parent said, speaking to local media. Uh, She said she took her two children, ages 8 and 11, to Sutter Health Pediatric Vaccine Clinic. You think it's a pediatric clinic. It's not a school doing it. It's a pediatric clinic. They deal with kids over the weekend. Uh, where they received 20 micrograms of dosage instead of the recommended 10. All in, 14 children who visited the clinic on Saturday were given the wrong dose. Well, Sutter Health said in a statement that it warned the parents of the mistake, explaining as soon as we learned of this, we contacted the parents and advised them of CDC guidance in the situation. But the parent said she wasn't uh, made aware of the error until 10 hours after the shots were administered. Both of her children stayed home from school on Monday with bad stomach aches, and her oldest child fell down twice in the hour following the shot. I understand the mandate. I tried to comply with it, she says. And my children now have been given a double dose, and I don't know the long-term side effects. Well, her husband added that the couple assumed 
that there was more in place to prevent this from happening. But obviously at this uh, place, there wasn't. And again, we're talking about a pediatric hospital. A local um, area physician said that children should be okay and the symptoms should subside after, well, a couple of days. He added that children were tested uh, with 10, 20 and 30 micrograms during the clinical trials. A headache, muscle ache, fever, and some cases chills, but they uh, should go away in a couple of days. So I would say hold tight, don't worry too much, and that's all uh, expected. Well, Sutter Health uh, added that it now is reviewing how the mistake unfolded and how to prevent it from happening again. Uh, again, it's important for parents to be aware that this has happened. I mean, they're uh, guessing thousands of kids who are getting the vaccine, but there have been some cases where the dose has been higher than uh, recommended. You might want to check that out. Ask a few questions if your uh, your child is being vaccinated. Well, the Fox News contributor blasted the legislation on America's newsroom, arguing it will uh, fuel an expansion of the welfare state. Uh, we're talking about children's propaganda cartoons. Uh, they're promoting the president's one point seven five trillion dollar spending plan. It's being slammed on Twitter. Now, children should have, oh, I don't know, a childhood where they don't have to concern themselves with a $1.75 trillion spending plan being debated in Washington, where the adults can't even agree on whether or not it's in their best interest. Well, the nonprofit organization is being slammed on social media for a video it posted promoting the president's Build Back Better spending agenda in a cartoon using a schoolhouse rock, I'm Just a Bill theme. The video posting uh, posted rather by a group Care in Action on Wednesday shows an animated version of the one point seven five trillion dollar Build Back Better spending plan holding hands with Biden and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and singing. Come on, let's do this. I'm a bill with a with critical and historic investments in child care, health care, climate care, immigration and more. The bill sings along the music and it's all paid for. Hmm. Congress recently raised the national debt ceiling and the entire bill has not yet been scored by the Congressional Budget Office, although that was expected earlier today. Social media users opposed to the massive spending and various liberal wish list items attached to the bill widely panned the uh, the video. You apologize to the schoolhouse rock bill right now. Red State Deputy Manager, uh, Managing Editor Brandon Morse tweeted, he doesn't deserve to have his image drugged through this um, lame attempt. At propaganda. This is almost as bad as the bill. One Twitter user wrote with another referring to the video as cringe worthy. Well, there's a real and present danger to teens when it comes to TikTok. Beyond the usual dangers of child predators and sex traffickers and stupid suggestions that put kids in danger, there are other influences that are leading them down a dark path. It's probably one of the most infamous of all social media platforms because of how sordid the content can be. It allows children as young as 13 to join the site ostensibly with parental permission, though it is uh, it has no way of confirming that permission was granted. For these children, there's no filters in place to keep pornographic, drug-related, or alcohol promotion videos from showing up on their uh, For You pages, as if uh, that wasn't bad enough. There are hashtags dedicated to other forms of uh, degradation and evil. Well, one such popular hashtag is hashtag witch talk. In this sphere, the viewer can find videos of all sorts of witchcraft, how to, how to guides such as tarot card reading, casting spells and astral projection, tea leaf divination, charms, crystals and other tools of the trade. Appalachian State University's Linda Jennison defines modern day witchery as the revival of pre-Christian pagan gods, goddesses and spirits. Spirits, their worship and ritual manipulation. She adds, it's also it also involves an animistic sense of spiritual power and a reverence for nature. Neo-pagans focus much of their spiritual practice upon practical results, the ability to affect their environment for magical means. Well, the large uh, following of this neo-pagan movement indicates there's as many um, who are seeking to find a higher power. There are many. The podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Episode 8, Demon Hunting, describes the primordial need for the inexplicable and the fine line between miracles and trickery. There's an ancient craving inside every human heart for the supernatural and for the feeling of astonishment. It pushes seekers to look for proof of the supernatural. Unfortunately, the teaching of the occult reject God by convincing the practitioner that the self is the highest source of power. Well, the Federalist's uh, Joy Pullman deconstructed the Washington Post interview of a self-ascribed teenage witch 
by shining a light on the many admissions of the teen, which uh, teen witch rather, that backhandedly confirm what the Bible says to expect from occult practitioners. Well, one big takeaway from uh, both the Post article and Pullman is that uh, these modern day witches see their ideology aligning very closely with that of the political left. Just on the topic of transgenderism, the author of the Post article points out the correlation of the rejection of God with a further rejection of only having two sexes. That's apparently part of it. Well, this spurning of uh, also extends to the purpose of having only two sexes, procreation. Furthermore, Pullman notes that the teen witch in the interview also openly connects gender dysphoria with occult experimentation and both with unsupervised young people going deep into social media rabbit warrens, end quote. Well, the purpose of witchcraft is to find ways of knowing the future and controlling events that are not theirs to control. Those abilities are God's alone, and you'll find all of it on TikTok and teens enamored with it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to the second hour. We're going to share the latest when it comes to uh, Baronelle Stutzman and her case that has, for the last nearly 10 years, has been pending. Two requests for the Supreme Court to hear the case will bring you the latest as uh, it has largely been resolved. That's coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, and we'll hear from Rachel Ruth Lotz-Wright, co-author of the book Jesus Followers. That's coming up in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I want to ask you, could your marriage use a boost? Well, Family Life's Weekend to Remember is a great opportunity to make an impact on your marriage. November 19th through the 21st at the Red Lion Hotel on the river at Jansen Beach. You can improve your communication, resolve conflict in biblical ways, increase your commitment to your marriage, resulting in deeper intimacy. It's not too late. Go to a weekend to remember at kpdq.com for all the important details for this uh, this coming weekend. Well, Saul Amarova is President Biden's nominee to run the office of comptroller of the currency. She faced some pretty harsh criticism from Senate Republicans and some uh, Democrats as well when she appeared in front of the Senate Banking Committee earlier today. She is 55 years old. She was nominated in September to be the nation's uh, next comptroller of the currency, the chief regulator, regulator rather of national banks. Uh, she called the financial services industry a quintessential expletive uh, industry. She's proposed nationalizing commercial banking and more. Well, Senate Banking Committee Republicans demanded her college thesis on Karl Marx for weeks, but say she still hasn't provided it. Well, the Senate Banking Committee finished its hearing on the nomination um, to be comptroller uh, this afternoon about noon. Ranking member Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania, closed the hearings with a warning about Amarova's economic views, saying Professor uh, Professor Amarova has promotional promoted radical. Radical is her description, nationalizing the banking system, imposing government price controls, espousing the idea that money is a public, not private good, curtailing economic innovation dramatically limiting economic freedom and choice, having the government seize seats on corporate boards. He added, these are ideas consistent with the socialist view of a command and control economy. The idea that we would put a person with these views as the chief regulator of American America's national banking is deeply disturbing and chilling. Well, the chairman, uh, Sherrod Brown, a Democrat from Ohio, meanwhile, attacked Republicans for bringing up the fact that she grew up in the Soviet Union. Well, it wasn't just the fact that she grew up there, but the views she holds that reflects that upbringing. Well, calling a nominee comrade as if uh, you don't know what that means is something else, he said. It's beneath the dignity of this institution. He was responding to a comment earlier in the hearing from Senator John Kennedy saying he didn't know whether or not to refer to her as professor or comrade. Well, comptroller of the currency nominee uh, defended an idea to give the government seats on the boards of some corporations during the Senate Banking uh, Committee hearing. She was asked about the idea by Senator Steve Daines, a Republican from Montana, who was among several Republicans to attack the nominee as too radical for her potential new job regulating banks. In 2017, she argued for a system that would allow a special golden share regime that would grant direct but strictly conditional corporate governance rights to a designated government representative on the board of each systematically important banking organization. The idea would be to have the government representative function as a passive during good economic times, but give the government direct 
management rights during economic crises. Asked by Danes whether she stands by this idea, Amarova said she does. The idea of the golden share did not come from China or the Soviet Union, she says. To me, it came from reading about Margaret Thatcher's government, their decision to introduce the golden share mechanism with respect to the newly privatized uh, in the uh, 1980s strategically important companies. Well, uh, Danes asked again, you still believe that the government should still have, in some situations, have seats on the boards of corporations? Yes, I am with Margaret Thatcher, she said. On the issue, Senator John Kennedy, Republican out of uh, Louisiana and Banking Committee Chairman uh, Sherrod Brown, Democrat out of Ohio, clashed during the uh, hearing over questions. Kennedy asked the comptroller of the currency nominee, uh, Amarova, uh, regarding her history in the Soviet Union. Kennedy started vaguely asking her if she was ever part of a group called the Young Communists and declined to specify what he meant when Amarova asked. Uh, Kennedy eventually explained that he meant the Leninist Communist Youth Organization of the Russian Federation. She explained that she did not have an option about whether she belonged to the group. I was born and grew up in the Soviet Union, she said. Everybody in that country was a member as part of normal progress in school. Kennedy then pressed her on whether she ever officially resigned from the group, to which she responded that people simply aged out. As Kennedy continued to push her for a resignation letter, Brown interrupted the chairman of the committee. I almost never interrupt. She uh, renounced her Soviet citizenship, he said. Well, Kennedy dismissed Brown and continued with his questions, uh, commenting on Amarova. I don't know whether um, to call you professor or comrade. I'm not a communist, she responded. I do not subscribe to that ideology. I could not choose where I was born. I did not. I do not remember joining any Facebook group that subscribes to that ideology. I would never knowingly join any group. There is no record of me ever actually participating in any Marxist or communist discussions of any kind, end quote. I came to this country. I'm proud to be an American, she went on to say. But Kennedy, his time ended, and the chairman jumped in to clarify that he never interrupted Kennedy before. Well, Comptroller of the Currency nominee Amarova said on Thursday that she's not for bankrupting oil companies, walking back highly publicized comments she made about the industry. I do not intend to advocate that kind of position, she said now. And when asked by Senator John Tester, a Democrat from Montana, who is from an oil state, about her comments, that particular statement in which she said uh, we want to bankrupt the industry, that particular statement about oil and gas companies going bankrupt, as I said, that was taken out of context. And I actually misspoke. It was not well framed. Well, she said precisely what she meant, but she is now, uh, while being grilled for a position in the uh, administration, is walking it back. She said, my intention was actually to say exactly the opposite, that we need to help those companies to get restructured. Well, if she did, in fact, misspeak, then I would question her nomination and her ability to communicate the policies of the U.S. government. Well, she made the comment as a recorded virtual event this year, primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of smaller players in that industry are going to probably go bankrupt in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, she said, and that's a direct quote. Well, Tester publicly expressed concerns multiple times about whether she's the right person to be the next comptroller of the of the currency. Thursday, he also pushed her over a proposal to to create an agency independent of Congress or the executive to allocate public and private money into projects that are good for society. Well, Banking Committee Ranking Member Pat Toomey, a Republican, clashed with the comptroller, or the nominee of the, uh, the currency uh, at the hearing, as did others. Um, she also wrote about or, or spoke about demand deposit banking to the Federal Reserve. And while I don't have time to go into it, it was a rather vigorous um, a hearing in which uh, the committee is considering whether or not to recommend that uh, the full uh, Senate support her nomination. We'll continue to follow that story as it develops. Well, coming up, we've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour. When we come back, we'll find out the latest in the case of Baronel Stutzman, owner of Arlene's Flowers in Richmond, who for the last nearly 10 years uh, has been under the uh, threat of suit by the attorney general and the ACLU, the latest when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as many of you know, Baronel Stutzman's legal trouble started when she declined to design floral arrangements that celebrated longtime customer Rob Ingersoll's same-sex wedding. 
Now, Baronelle uh, is the sole owner of Arlene's Flowers in Richland, Washington. She served and employed people who identify as LGBT for her entire career. But despite all of that, the American Civil Liberties Union and the Washington Attorney General, they claim that she's guilty of unlawful discrimination when she acted consistent with her faith and declined to use her creative skills to celebrate the same-sex ceremony of her longtime customer, Robert Ingersoll. Well, that one decision, a decision to peacefully live and work consistent with her faith, kicked off a legal battle that's been going on for nearly a decade. Well, it's been a long road for Baronelle, living under the threat of government punishment and receiving countless hate messages, even death threats. But her faith has remained intact. Well, here to join us to bring us up to date, the latest on this case is Kristen Wagoner. She is the ADF general counsel and Baronelle Stutzman, owner of Arlene's Flowers in Richland, Washington. Thank you both for joining us today with the latest. Welcome. Thank you. Well, this has been a very long and difficult road. And I even in saying that, I feel a bit foolish because those words don't really reflect what this last decade has been for you, Baronelle. And facing off these government uh, forces uh, that are suggesting that you not, you must compromise your religious convictions in order uh, to have a livelihood in your uh, in your town. How has this decade been for you? Well, it's been quite an adventure, but, you know, I served Rob for almost 10 years and created many arrangements for him. But when he came in to ask me to do a same-sex wedding, that's just a line I could not cross. I I serve everyone who walks into my shop, mm-hmm. but I just participate in that one event. And, uh, you know, the ACLU, as, as you stated, has been pretty hateful and uh, has gone after me for everything we own. So they, they just didn't uh, come after the uh, florist shop. They came after you personally as well. Yes, ma'am. They came after my retirement, my life savings, my home everything corporately and personally. Now, some would suggest, why not just walk away? Um, There's a lot at stake here. And maybe, Christian, you can put that into perspective because this fight doesn't just represent the challenge that Baronelle has faced, but other creative artists face as well. You're right. Uh, There are a number of other victims that are being threatened and bullied into having to choose between their religious convictions and whether they're going to express messages that violate those convictions and their livelihoods and vocations. We are hopeful that this fight will continue with the Supreme Court granting our petition on a case called 303 Creative involving Lori Smith, a website designer, who is facing the same law that Jack Phillips was, um, saying essentially that she can't have creative artistic expression and will be denied her First Amendment rights, uh, and that she must essentially forego her convictions and express messages that violate her core beliefs, just as the ACLU and Washington State have argued against Baronelle. Now, you have asked the Supreme Court to consider taking up this case. They declined uh, the first time when you asked them to consider Baronelle's case. Are you hopeful this time around, and we'll talk a bit about where Baronelle stands, but uh, are you hopeful that the Supreme Court is more likely this time to take up this particular case? I am. I think it's important to remember that the court heard uh, Jack Phillips' case yes. and decided in his favor in 2018, but it didn't rule on the grounds of free speech. It didn't consider those arguments. It ruled on free exercise of religion. And so it is important that the court establish that no government official can compel someone to express a message that violates their convictions. So we're optimistic that 303 Creative and Lori Smith's petition is that case. Um, And we intend to continue to pursue these freedoms for all Americans. Now, as I mentioned, Baronelle, you've been facing this challenge for nearly a decade um, and there's new developments in your case. Uh, either Kristen or Baronelle, tell us what's happened uh, most recently. Well, I'll start with that since there's a legal component to it. Uh, we filed a petition asking the U.S. Supreme Court to hear Baronelle's case at the, t- at the same time that Jack Phillips' case was being heard. At that time, the court ruled in Jack's favor, and it sent Baronelle's case back down to the Washington Supreme Court. The Washington Supreme Court then ruled against Baronelle, and it went back up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And then in this last July, the court declined 
to hear Baranel's case, knowing that that would be the end of the road for Baranel and that she could potentially be held liable for millions of dollars in damages and attorney's fees. We were, that was a tragic uh, decision that the court had, Mm -hmm. but later we were able to file a petition for reconsideration, asking the court to again reconsider whether to give Baranel justice. And that petition has been pending now. And it is that petition that allowed us to reach an agreement with the ACLU to settle Baronel's case and so that at age 77, she's able to give her business to her employees and continue to support others in this fight. Baronel, your thoughts on the freedom that you now have to step away from this challenge? Well, I don't, I don't have the freedom to step away because I'm going to continue to fight for our freedoms, our religious freedoms, our constitution. You know, this, this is everybody's freedom, not just mine. And if I, if I lose and Lori loses, then you lose and everybody else does too. Now, how should we interpret this settlement? Is this, um, should we con- consider this just one step in the continuing movement forward toward trying to, to seek justice here? Or is this the the end of the road uh, and a victory or a, a something less than a victory? I think that it's a, it's, it's a sad day in one respect and that Baronel wasn't able to have the justice she deserves through the court system, that the Supreme Court didn't agree to hear her case and affirm her rights. It's also a triumphant day and that there was a pathway that was provided legally that allowed her to step away from her business and have it come to a natural end and to be able to ensure that these principles for which she has fought will continue in other cases as well. And so in that respect, when you fought the good fight, you ran your race well, and God has provided for you, how can you be anything but thankful? Mm. One of the things that you mentioned, uh, Baronel, is the fact that along the way, you've had many opportunities to share your testimony, to to share the gospel. You found people who were encouraging and and praying for you. Uh, I know many listeners here, including myself, have been praying for you for many years through this uh, this turmoil. How would you interpret what God has done for you personally through this very long fight? It has been such an amazing journey. Never in a million years did I think I would be in this position. It was never on my bucket list to be at the Supreme Court. It's just God has opened so many doors and introduced me to so many people and has shown me how faithful his promises are. And, uh, you know, he has been faithful through all this, even when we haven't been faithful. And we have we are just blessed beyond. So what in this settlement, what hap- uh, happens next? Baronel has provided Rob $5,000 and withdrawn her petition that was pending at the United States Supreme Court. So her case will end. But she is also able to transfer her business to her employees and to say that she's never violated her conscience. And she has inspired Lori Smith and others to petition the Supreme Court to protect the same freedoms that are at issue in Baronel's case. You know, I love the fact that, um, as you pointed out, Baronel has never violated her conscience through this whole process. It would have been so much easier if you'd simply said, okay, I'll make the bouquet. But there were principles at stake that were worth drawing a line in the sand. You did that. And as a result, many others have found the courage to say, you know what, we're going to draw that same line and we're going to challenge what uh, what's being um, asked of us uh, to do in this case. Any regrets, Baronel? Absolutely not. You know, when God changes his word, then I can change mine. Huh. But I do have some, you know, people always ask me, you know, well, what's the cost? You know, what would you tell me to do? And I can't tell anybody what to do, but there's a line that we're all going to come to that we know that we can't cross. And if we decide to be obedient to Christ, he will open doors you never believe possible. And he will take care of every need that you that you have. And so it's just our job to be to be consistent and to be obedient. And he takes care of the rest. 
Well, we know that you have inspired millions of others uh, in their public and personal battles to live their faith without government interference. And you've laid the groundwork that makes it possible for the Supreme Court to take a case uh, like Lori Smith, Jack Phillips, Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop, who's now been uh, sued for the third time. Uh, the the issue is moving forward. Your example um, has uh, contributed significantly to this fight. We hope the Supreme Court will take up this uh, 303 creative uh, case and uh, ultimately justice will be found. First of all, I'd like to say thank you, Baronel, for your faithfulness, uh, for setting an example for the rest of us. And Kristen of uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, thank you for the work that you and others do to help support religious freedom uh, here in the country. Without you, I think many of us would just be lost in terms of what to do and where to go. So thank you to both of you. Well, thank you for doing so much to educate others on the importance of standing up for our freedoms, because we truly sink or swim together on these things. And and there is a there is a cost for our freedoms, but there's a bigger cost if we don't stand. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Well, I would encourage our listeners to continue to keep Baronelle in prayer as she transitions uh, into retirement. And my guess is your retirement will be a little busier than that word seems to indicate. Uh, but we're grateful um, once again for both of you joining us here today and telling the story. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. This year I'm in Bible Study Fellowship and we're studying for the entire year the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And I so love studying the Gospels because uh, they explain so clearly Jesus' mission, his intention for us, and the fulfillment of the law. And we recently studied Matthew chapter 7, and there are some words there that are a very sobering. Now, I want to make it clear that I understand salvation is found in Jesus, that we receive his righteousness because we cannot aspire to or attain to the righteousness that God requires. But there was a recent article in Christianity Today. It was an op-ed by Oscar Amachina, who um, uh, who had the headline, I Never Knew You, Jesus' Most Frightening Words. And as I study that portion of scripture, it re- really is very sobering. Uh, frightening isn't the word I would apply because I understand what the scriptures teach and how one uh, reconciles him or herself to God, but it is very sobering. Well, Oscar writes, there are some words of Jesus that usually send chills up my spine whenever I read them. The fear of being turned away by God at the end of my Christian journey is sometimes overwhelming. Before now, I had been convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that I would make it to heaven if Christ returned today. But as as I began to contemplate his words more deeply, I have now resolved to become extremely careful in my daily activities as a Christian. I had been so engrossed in the euphoria of the loving kindness and mercy of God. And if I can just stop here for a moment. Oh, the lavish loving kindness and mercy of God. Uh, His sons and daughters have received through his son, Jesus Christ. I don't want to minimize that at all. But he says, I had been so engrossed in the euphoria of the loving kindness and mercy of God that I seldom remember the terms and conditions that I am bound to keep. When Jesus gave the instructions that self-denial and cross-carrying are prerequisites for becoming his disciple, he wanted us to carry ourselves and follow, uh, wanted us to deny ourselves and follow God. He wants us to collapse our will into the will of God and get to and to get ready to suffer and die the most shameful death for the sake of the gospel. I struggle every day to kill my flesh in my daily activities, but it keeps on pushing itself into my major decisions. I pick my cross up uh, daily, but I still notice that fear of being killed has not allowed me to operate maximally in carrying out the mandates of the Great Commission. My fear is that I cannot claim that I have absolutely denied myself and have carried my cross. Now, if I could just add a little editorial note, it's not as if this would be a surprise to Jesus, knowing who and what we are. He knows full well that we will not follow his uh, commands perfectly, but he has given us his Holy Spirit to help move us closer to the character of Christ. The article continues, There are still fleshly manifestations and unreadiness to surrender my life for the sake of Christ. I have signed my death warrant along with my fellow missionaries, but we are all still afraid to venture into some areas, even when we are convinced that God wants us to go to such places. At times, I do consider my actions as incomplete obedience, and that has increased my fear. Now, I think many of us can relate to this writing from a missionary. 
Well, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, if those are not sobering words to any Christ follower, then perhaps you need to read them again and ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal uh, what they mean and how serious God is about our conduct. Now, we don't earn our place in heaven by virtue of our works, but God calls us to live a life that reflects the character of Christ. Did Christ really mean these words? If he did, then a lot of us are in deep trouble, Max McLean on The Most Reluctant Convert said. Well, the statement suggests that not all that profess Christ will enter into the kingdom of God, but only those who did the will of God while on earth. My take in that will, of course, uh, includes putting one's trust and confidence and hope in Jesus Christ, in confessing one's sins and receiving the gift of life that we receive through Christ. My take on this is that every Christian who desires to get into the kingdom of God should continually do the will of God. There are many who have done mighty works in the name of Jesus who will not enter the kingdom simply because they did not operate in accordance with God's will. He that thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. You don't want to be like the Pharisees who imagine that outward appearance of righteousness, a sort of hollow righteousness, if you will, is sufficient to gain access to the throne of grace. Grace is necessary because we do not have the stuff that would uh, give us the ability to reach the level of righteousness that God requires. Well, he goes on. The unfortunate thing is that many Christians do not know that they um, had to pick up their cross as soon as they uh, gave their lives to Christ. Many run their Christian race without the cross. Cross carrying is non-negotiable in Christianity, and anyone who refuses to adhere strictly to this will inevitably face rejection from Christ on the last day. The day God opened my eyes of understanding to see what God told the church in Sardis in Revelations, uh, Revelation 3.5 is the day I woke my wife up in the middle of the night. We cried and begged God to help us finish strong. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. The most dreadful part of the whole scenario is that there will be no opportunity for repentance at that point of hearing. I never knew you and no second chances. This fear has helped me to be watchful and pray and contemplate God's judgment for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are so many, uh, at least according to what I understand the scripture to suggest, um, who have the trappings of the Christian life, but don't necessarily have the relationship with Christ, which is absolutely necessary in order to gain access to the throne of grace. These are very sobering words. I, again, would uh, would not say frightening because I understand what the scriptures teach, what God requires in establishing that saving faith, but it is sobering. Jesus' most frightening words, depart from me, I never knew you. And it, uh, it encourages all of us to consider, have I done what God requires? Have I embraced the gift of his son uh, as the way, the only way, the truth and the life to gain access to God? And if we fail to do that, uh, but we're going through the motions, then perhaps this is a very fearful bit of scripture. Again, found in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. And, of course, the book of Matthew, at least in those early chapters, focuses on the authority of Christ, his authority over creation, over uh, physical illness, and so many things. He's establishing early in the uh, in his ministry who he is and the fact that he is the Messiah, that he not only has the power, but he has authority over things that only God himself would. And he also makes the point that the righteousness that we think is uh, that we can muster up by virtue of our works is insufficient to reach the level of righteousness, uh, the holiness of God and his character. But thanks be to God. And in the early chapters, you don't yet know that if you're just starting out in the gospel. But thanks be to God. The sacrifice made by Christ makes it possible for us to be known by God, uh, to be called his sons and daughters and Jesus himself to call us his friend um, when we come to him by placing our faith confessing our sins and our utter need for him. 
So I'm so grateful for God's word. And then beyond that, he wants to conform us to the image of his son. So he is reshaping our character. He is giving us the righteousness of Christ. And that process of sanctification that occurs on a daily basis, moment by moment, as he's changing us so that we better reflect what's pleasing to him, not quite arriving there yet. Uh, but moving in that direction, what a gift it is that God has given us, even the possibility uh, to to name his name, uh, to be uh, considered a son or a daughter, and then to experience the work of his Holy Spirit. What grace, what mercy, what uh, kindness he has extended to us. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Well, tomorrow is Friday. We'll take a look at some of the day's headlines and we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news and share this week's Christian outlook. So I hope you'll join us. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.